Uh, if you have your Bibles, you'll turn to Matthew, the 10th chapter. I want to start there. One of the things to me that's special about the Bible that sets it apart from any other, uh, you know, written manuscript or, you know, movie or something like that. Uh, you may you may have a favorite book or a favorite movie or a favorite TV show. And a lot of times those things, uh, they, they dull over time with us because you've seen them or read them so many times that they just kind of lose, uh, you know, lose their excitement to you. Now, there are some exceptions to that, I know. Uh, I could watch Andy Griffith over and over and have over and over and over, and it never really seems to get old to me. Uh, but the other, there are maybe books or movies that, you know, that you've seen. You're like, I don't really want to see or read that again. I've seen it. It's not that exciting. Well, what, one thing that sets the Bible apart is, um, you know, you can read the same passage of Scripture over and over and over, and then uh, one day you read it and the Lord just blesses you to see something there that you've never seen before. Amen. It just, and it just, uh, it just can, you, it's like Brother Sonny Powell says, you never cease to dig up the gold nuggets that are in the Bible. That's why I encourage you to continue to read and labor in it because it never gets old to me. And so this past week as I was reading, uh, I had one of those experiences where I just kind of was reading. I thought, why have I never seen that before? Why have I never put that together before? And it was just real encouraging to me. And it was a time where the Bible came alive. So I thought I'd share some of those things with you this morning. Uh, And I want to start with a verse in Matthew, the 10th chapter. And so at this point in the Lord's ministry, uh, he has gathered together his apostles and he's, uh, you know, he's done some, some miracles and he's done a lot of teaching at this point. But he gathers them together and specifically is going to charge them to do something. Now, a lot of times uh, you'll hear um, the, the phrase, the Great Commission. You've probably heard that before and we may look at that at some point uh, this morning if we have time. But the Great Commission, you know, usually is at the, you know, you can find it in the end of, uh, uh, I think it's the very last uh, set of scriptures in the book of Matthew, if I remember correctly. But people say, you know, here's the Great Commission when the Lord says, go ye therefore into all nations. And it talks about, you know, teaching them uh, uh, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, and, and that's what we typically think of as the Great Commission. It was a charge to go. But... In Matthew the tenth chapter, you find really one of the, the the really the first commission where he sends his apostles forth to go, right? And when you read about this, especially in today's society, uh, if there were some bystanders around when the Lord gives them this great commission, they probably would have gotten their feelings hurt. Because in Matthew the tenth chapter, in verse five. He charges his apostles and he says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, There's that word again, go. Like the Great Commission, go. And it says, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and to any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, imagine that charge there. You see, this is the first Great Commission. And what he's telling them, he says, I want you to go... But I want you to go here, and I'm specifically instructing you not to go there. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but do not go to the Gentiles. I'm charging you to go forward with the gospel message, but you are not to take it to these people over here. Now, how do you think that would go over today? Probably not very well, right? 
But Jesus says, this message that I have, I want you to take it to the lost sheep. Now that's real important right there, and it's another sermon for another day. But a lot of times, people use the word lost incorrectly to describe somebody that they would consider as unsaved and going to hell. And I may have preached this here before, I'm not sure, but when you read about the word lost in the Bible, it almost exclusively refers to sheep. Now, when you read in, I believe it's Matthew, the 24th or 25th chapter, when the Lord gathers all nations to himself and he sets the sheep on his right hand and he puts the goats on his left hand. And he says to the sheep on the right hand, come, ye blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He refers to his people as sheep. So anytime in the Bible, when you read the word sheep, you are talking about blood-bought children of God that carry His name and will spend an eternity in heaven. But yet, He says here, you need to go to sheep that are lost. So there's no way that lost can mean hell-bound if it's referring to a sheep. So what does lost mean? Lost means you're just away from the shepherd, right? Lost means that maybe you are out here and you've, you've left the church. Maybe you've left the teaching of the Bible. Uh, maybe you've left walking in the kingdom of God and you've gone out here and you've decided that you're going to live uh, in the way that the world lives. Well, that's being lost. And that's a dangerous place to be because the shepherd plays a key role in a child of God's life, right? Who is it that fights off the bears and the wolves that come to destroy the flock of the sheep? It's the shepherd. So you want to be near the shepherd and sometimes sheep wander and they get lost. And the Lord says here, I want you to go to those sheep that are lost, but don't go over here to the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> that, that might hurt our feelings today, but back then when these apostles are hearing this, that makes total sense to them, right? Because from the beginning of the Bible, uh, or from the beginning uh, where you see the Lord bring a nation forth from Abraham, He calls them the Israelites, He calls them the Hebrews, He calls them the Jews. He set them apart as a special, peculiar people above any and all other nations. There were laws that the Jews were not to associate and to eat or to even go into the same household as a Gentile. That's just the way they that's that's the way it was laid out, and that's what the Lord had told them. So when he when they get this charge to not go preach to the Gentiles, they would say, Well, that figures, right? We're not supposed to go to the Gentiles all this time. We're not supposed to uh, we weren't supposed to intermarry with the Gentiles. We weren't supposed to do the things the Gentiles do. We weren't supposed to adopt the practices that the Gentiles adopted. So it makes sense to us that when he sends us forth, we're only going to go to the Jews and preach for, to the lost sheep. Now, notice he doesn't say there, go to the lost goats of the house of Israel. Maybe that's another sermon for another day too. What is the purpose of our gospel message? The purpose of the gospel message is to get those lost sheep back to the flock. Amen. Right? Now, so, here you have the apostles and they're saying, well, that makes sense, right? Now, there comes a time, I want to flip over to Acts, the 10th chapter, for just a second. <clears throat> and I'm going to do a good bit of reading here because I can read it better than I can tell it. So, there's a great division between Jew and Gentile. <clears throat> the Lord has sent forth the apostles to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that's the Jewish people. <clears throat> and so, that is what they are doing. 
Now, there comes a time in Acts the 10th chapter that we're fixing to see a shift here. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of a man named Peter who his whole life, all he has known up until the Lord comes on the scene, all Peter has ever known and all Peter has ever, that has ever been taught is the law, is, is the way of the Jew. And when the Lord comes to him and says, only go to the lost chief of the house of Israel, as I said, he says, well, that makes sense to us. That's all he has ever known is there is a great difference between Jew and Gentile because he's been taught that from birth. And as he grew up, you know, think about Peter before Jesus came on the scene. It was all about the law of Moses. That's his life. That's what he knows. Now, in Acts the 10th chapter, and again, I'm going to read a lot of this, so just bear with me, but I hope you can pay attention because if the Lord will bless, it will make sense later. It says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. This is a Gentile. This is a Roman. Okay? This is not a Jew. This is not the target audience that the Lord has sent, sent his apostles to. <clears throat> but listen to how it describes him. A devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now, <clears throat> he says, I, And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel and when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, so you got that picture? Here's a Roman, a centurion, a man that is a Gentile and not a Jew. He does not qualify as a lost sheep, right? But the Bible says he's devout. It says he fears God. It says he prays to God. And he gives alms. And if you read the Bible, what you know about that is this man has already been touched by the Spirit of God and born again and made a new creature. Otherwise, he would never be doing these things. So... We realize that Cornelius is a child of God. Now, I've heard some people say that Cornelius up to this point was not born again, but I would, I would beg to differ that uh, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. This, this idea of praying to a God and fearing God and calling out to a God, that is not foolishness to Cornelius. He embraces it and he does it regularly and he does it well. So that is going on and Cornelius comes out of his vision there and he takes two servants and a soldier. He says, listen, I need you guys to go to Joppa and look for a man named Peter and bring him back here to me. That's what the angel said. Now, as they are on their way to Joppa where Peter is, it says on the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up about the, upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him 
as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein all man, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Now what has Peter known since birth? From, from the very beginning of Peter's life, what Peter has known is the law. The law of Moses. And if you know the law of Moses, there are certain things they could eat that were clean. There were certain things they could eat that were not clean. So they had a very strict set of rules, if you will. <clears throat> so, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. All right, so this, this old Jew that has been under the law of Moses his whole life says, uh-uh, maybe he thinks it's a trick. You're not tricking me. Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. <clears throat> and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, thou shalt not call common. Now listen, Peter has no idea that three men that are not Jews are on the way to his house or to, to the house he's staying in. Peter has no idea what's going on. Now that ought to encourage you sometimes. Amen. That sometimes the Lord is working on people and we have no idea, Amen. but they're headed our way. So I hope you're ready. <clears throat> And the voice, okay, uh, what God hath cleansed, thou shalt, not call un- thou shalt not call common or unclean. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood at the gate. Have you ever tried to decipher, what, Lord, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? Just give it time. Right. Give it time. Peter sees this vision and he can't make heads or tails out. Lord, I have no idea what you're saying. He, he doesn't know about Cornelius and the soldiers and the servants. He's just thinking, Lord, are you, are you changing your law? Are you telling me that I can go tell all the Jews that we can eat whatever we want? He, he's just trying to make sense of it. <clears throat> well, why he's trying to make sense of it? While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they give another beautiful description of a born-again child of God that just doesn't have all the information he needs. And they said, The Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nation of the Jews was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanying him. So Cornelius has sent the men to get Peter. In the meantime, Peter has the vision and the takeaway from the vision that Peter has no idea what it means at this point is what God has cleansed, what God has already cleansed, don't call unclean. And that's really the only takeaway that Peter has at this point. And so they start their journey back to Caesarea to where Cornelius is. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends, Cornelius is very excited and interested in what this man Peter has got to say. Because see, Cornelius is also in the dark. you got two men that are in the dark. That are fixed to have a lot of light shed on some things. 
But Cornelius is like, who is this guy named Peter? And why in the world am I, am, am I sending people to bring him to my house? That's all Cornelius knows. As I'm supposed to go get Peter. That's it. All Peter knows is what God's called, what God has already cleansed. He's not to call uncommon. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Cornelius is so excited, he has gathered together his family and his friends. He doesn't know, he does not know what, what Peter's what message. For all he knows, Peter's gonna come in and say, You've sinned against God, you're fixing to die. But there's something that's burning inside of Cornelius, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he calls all his friends and his kinsmen together. And when Peter walks in, he falls down. And Peter took him up saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Now remember, this is Peter, the Hebrew of the Hebrews right here. The guy that's not supposed to do anything uh, with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in a room full of Gentiles. Can you imagine Peter... He opens the door, the soldier and the two servants lead him in and he walks into a room and boom, it's a room full of Gentiles. Uh, Peter probably feels dirty. Peter's thinking, I'm, uh, this feels wrong. But he's here. And this is what he says to him. Ye know, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation? And then he says, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So as Peter walks in, the flesh of him probably goes like, ugh. But then he thinks on his vision and says, maybe this is starting to make a little sense. He says, therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore what intent ye have sent for me. So Peter says, let's get to the bottom of this. Why have you sent men to bring me into Caesarea to talk to Cornelius? And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Now, I'm, I'm being a little presumptuous here, but you know what I think Cornelius might have been praying for? I think Cornelius might have been praying for some answers. He loves the Lord, he's praying to the Lord, and he fears the Lord. But Cornelius is praying, and at that same time is when he has the vision to send for Peter. And maybe Cornelius was saying, there's something inside of me that just burns towards the Lord, but I just can't make sense of it. And about that same time, he sees the vision to go get Peter. And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting. He said, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. Alright, so at this point, all Cornelius knows is that he is to send for Peter. Peter comes, and all Cornelius knows to do is to tell Peter what I've seen. Peter has done zero preaching to Cornelius. Zero. They're just trying to figure things out. Why are you here? Why am I here? And they kind of lay that out. Cornelius says, I don't know, but the Lord told me to come come get you. And that you, Peter, would tell me what to do. Alright, and this is Peter's conclusion. 
Now don't miss this. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this verse. This is Peter's conclusion of his experience coming into the house of a Gentile when all he has known is Jewish law. He has been specifically instructed by God not to go to the people of Samaria or to any city of the Gentiles. But the Lord says things are changing. And I have cleansed some things that you are not to call uncommon. But Cornelius has yet to have the gospel message preached to him. And this is Peter's conclusion. He says, In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You catch that? Peter's conclusion of, see, of seeing Cornelius, hearing his description. Remember his servant said he's a devout man. He fears God. He gives alms and he, and he prays. And Peter looks back and thinks, nobody's preached to this man. God has told us not to preach to these men. But yet I find a man who is living a godly life. And my conclusion of that is wherever I go, Whatever nation I go into, whatever house I enter into, whatever person I meet, when I find somebody that is working righteousness and fearing God, I find somebody that the Lord has already cleansed. Don't miss that. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to Acts the 15th chapter. Now, we don't know exactly... How much time has passed between Acts the 10th chapter and Acts the 15th chapter, but by Peter's own admission, it is a good while. So some time has passed. And in Acts the 15th chapter, let me read this to you. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Notice that. Have you ever heard anybody tell you or tell, ever heard about somebody tell somebody, unless you do this, ye cannot be saved, you will not be saved? When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, <clears throat> let me stop there too. We ought to always be gentle. The Bible talks about uh, in meekness and gentleness instructing others, right? We, we are not to, to bash people over the head. We're not to be ugly. We're not to be mean as we teach uh, the doctrine of grace. Amen. We're supposed to be harmless as doves is what it says. But yet there should also be something inside of us when we hear salvation presented in a way that puts a burden on man it ought to do something inside of us. It ought to at least grieve us. Maybe it should motivate us to teach. And that's exactly what happened to Paul and Barnabas. You see, Paul and Barnabas had been teaching to the Gentiles already. And if you read over in Acts, the 13th chapter, one of the conclusions 
uh, about them preaching to the Gentiles, it says this, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So I ask you, which came first, the ordaining to eternal life or the belief? And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, Paul and Barnabas believed in grace. And all of a sudden they hear people coming down and saying to men, unless you're circumcised, ye cannot be saved. Now imagine you're one of those guys over there that that message is going to. Well, all of a sudden you've got this huge burden placed on you. Well, if I don't do this, I can't be saved. And all of a sudden, these men have a great burden put on them. And Paul and Barnabas hear what is being taught, and they say, no, 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 no. And they start to dispute with the people that are doing the teaching. But the good thing about it is, it says they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. You see, they were willing to work together. They were willing to get to the bottom of what really is the truth on the matter. And that's something you don't see a whole lot today. You know, uh, I had a picture in my head and and sadly it's it's like this. I want you to imagine a big house with a bunch of rooms. And each denomination goes into their own room. And they lock the door. And they do not want to come out and go into the room of another denomination. They don't want to pass each other in the hallway. They want to be separated. That's a tactic of Satan to separate God's people. People don't want to reason together to to figure out really what is the truth. But these men were willing to do that. And I said, listen, we need to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and and the elders and we're going to ask the question. Do they or do they not have to do something to be saved? And so they go... And they get to Jerusalem where the apostles and the elders are. It says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. Alright. Here's all the apostles and the elders together. And guess who's sitting among them? Good old Peter. Who had spent some time a good while ago with Cornelius. And came to the conclusion that in every nation... He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And there's old Peter, and when they talked, and when there had been much disputing, a lot of debate going on, and I just picture Peter sitting over there quietly, probably thinking about Cornelius. He says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago... God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What's the conclusion there? When it comes to eternal salvation, a test of false teaching is this. If a burden is placed on men to do something in order to get it and to put a yoke upon their neck that if you don't do this, you cannot be saved, that's false teaching. That's the test. Does it put a burden on men? Well, the people that were told you've got to be circumcised or you can't be saved, well, hey, a burden was put on them, right? Right? 
And Peter says, why are you putting a yoke of burden on them that, our, that do, neither us or our fathers were able to bear? Why are you teaching something that puts a burden on men? Why are you telling people they've got to do this to be saved? And he says, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of, our, of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And this is what he says. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Amen. He does not say we believe that through circumcision they shall be saved. He doesn't say we believe through repentance and confession they shall be saved. He doesn't believe, say that we believe through baptism they shall be saved. He says we believe that is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Amen. That's his conclusion. Why would he say that? Because he had spent some time in the house of Cornelius. A man who was uncircumcised. A man who had never heard the gospel message. And Peter says, I see the light of Christ in you just as much as I see it in myself. Amen. And the only way that is possible is that God has already been here and done a work of cleansing and made you what you are. Amen. And so he tells these men, don't put them back under a burden. Now, <clears throat> the point of the message is this. There's a lot of this still today. A lot of it. Josh and I were talking the other day about um, you know, some of our, our uh, church experiences in the past. And uh, we were kind of saying some things in jest and laughing about it. But in a little bit of a serious tone also, you know, we got talking about, you know, you just remember standing or uh, hearing a preacher stand up there and say, that if, if, if you died tonight on the way home and you have not repented, believed, confessed, and accept, you will not be saved. And you're going to go to hell. And I remember one of the things Josh said. He said, I just remember I just wanted to walk home. I didn't want to get in a car. You know? And I thought, that's a good point. But you know what that was? That was a yoke of burden. It says, if you can't do this, if you don't do this, you will not be saved. If you don't believe, repent, confess, accept, you will not be saved. If you don't get in the waters of baptism, you cannot be saved. But I believe that if I'd have heard that preacher say that if you died tonight you, and you have not accepted Christ, you cannot be saved. If Peter would have been sitting in that, I believe he would have stood up and said, let me tell you about Cornelius. Amen. And what I have learned is that in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And don't put a yoke of burden on these men's necks because we believe that they shall be saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ just like we are. Amen. I think that's what Peter would have said. Right. Peter, though, had an obstacle to overcome. And I say this with compassion. I hope you understand it. You know how difficult it would be for Peter to have heard something his whole life and then all of a sudden be told to do something different? Yeah. That'd be hard. It's hard. All of a sudden, don't, 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 don't go to the Gentiles. Follow the law. Don't eat what is unclean. And all of a sudden, go to the Gentiles and it's okay to eat what is unclean. There are people out there that have heard something their whole life. They may have heard, listen, if you're a child and you've heard the same three or four verses regurgitated over and over and over and you've been told what they meant for 20 years, 
That's what you're going to believe. That's what you're going to believe. Somebody, uh, somebody told me once, what you hear the most and what you hear uh, the most frequently is what you're going to believe. And there's some truth to that. So these, you know, a child grows up for 20 years hearing that hearing the, here's three passages about salvation and this is what they mean. It's hard to get away from that. Peter had trouble getting away from it because he told the Lord, uh-uh, <laughs> I'm not eating anything common or unclean. But Peter submitted to the authority of God. And Peter realized that salvation is of the Lord. And he told these men, it's grace that you're saved by. Paul and Barnabas believed in grace. Peter believes in grace. So the conclusion is this. We are going to find people. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been told your whole life, John 3.16, Romans you know, 3.23 and, and, and all those verses and the Roman road to salvation and you cannot see it another way. I encourage you to, to, to listen to what Peter said Amen. and that it is grace. And wherever you go, when you run across somebody that fears God and works righteousness, you have found a place that the Spirit of God has already been. Amen. Now what's your job? Your job is to do what Peter did. He began to teach them. Yeah. And that goes back to the Great Commission, which I will close with that, but I want to read it to you. The Great Commission says, Go ye therefore into, and teach. That's what it says. Go and teach. In all nations, Jew and Gentile alike, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he says, And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. What is the Great Commission? The Great Commission is not about going to make children of God. Because wherever you find somebody working righteousness, the Lord has already done His work. The Great Commission is about going and teaching. You know what Cornelius needed? Cornelius needed some teaching. Cornelius needed to hear about Jesus Christ. And he needed to hear about his, 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 the virgin birth. And he needed to hear about the works of Christ. And he needed to hear about the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the promise of an eternal home. That's what he needed to hear. Because he didn't have all that information. So I hope that's been encouraging to you. And if nothing else, I hope it renews your, your, your belief in grace. And I love the picture of Peter in Acts 15 standing up and telling of his experience with Cornelius in Acts the 10th chapter. It's beautiful. 